Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. I'm 48 years old. I'm a husband, a father, a friend, a radio executive, and a PD Avenger, which makes me an advocate. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. This season, we're talking a lot about Parkinson's advocacy, from advocating for yourself with your doctor to people with Parkinson's communicating with lawmakers and others who are educating, participating in research, or sharing their story, whether through a podcast, a blog, a book, social media, magazines, or just one-on-one with a friend who's curious. One fierce advocate that I would like to introduce you to is Christine Jayachandran. Christine is Australian, but lives in Peru. I met her in Japan, of course. I was aware of Christine before arriving because of a video she submitted for the WPC 2019 video contest called Handstand for Parkinson's. Let's listen in. When I was a kid, I loved to do handstands. I've had Parkinson's disease for five years, and now I'm 42. And I've struggled to do exercise regularly. But I decided this year with trepidation to give gymnastics a try, to increase my movement, and to get my handstand back. When my mum was 37, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. The people that have this disease have trouble walking, and sometimes they drag their leg when they walk. And their hand shakes, their arms are quite stiff, and t- sometimes their legs. And she wanted to do her exercise so her disease wouldn't get worse. But it was kind of hard to do exercise every day. But then she thought a little bit more. Since I do gymnastics, she said, I want to do gymnastics too. I want to become a gymnast. And I'm like, great idea. She got my coach to help her. And he was building up her muscles and they stretched at the gymnastics. When I started out doing gymnastics, I was really sore, even though it was just a 45 minute class. Gradually, I've progressed to training up to two hours. Oh, she's on the high bar. Oh, look at her swing, that's great. Pull up. Awesome. Here she's doing a lot of exercises, less stretching, and oh, she's doing the splits. Ow, oh, good for you. That hurts. Mm. The thing I like about gymnastics is that it's social. That's lots of fun. And that it's almost built in accountability with having people along for the ride and having a coach. But yesterday my coach quit on me. He's taking some time off. I literally cried here on the floor. And so I'm, of course, a little devastated, don't know what to do. But here I am in the gym. Yesterday was one day, and today I'm going to try and keep training on my own or find a solution to keep going. Um, We all hit the bumps in the roads, and even though it's difficult, I'm going to keep going. Because I've got some aims to achieve, with a coach or without a coach. One of my dreams from the beginning was to do a handstand, and I just started attempting that. I can snot very beautiful yet. Um, hopefully I can improve the, the form of it, make my legs straighter and make it more how it should be. Throwing myself headfirst at the floor has never really been appealing. Even though I wanted to do a handstand, I was just still frightened every time. I still am frightened every time. She got her handstand because she, she persevered a lot and she never gave up even though it was very hard. And I'm very proud of my mommy. I was so happy to get my handstand. And it was even straighter than I expected. This journey isn't easy. It's a lot of hard work, ongoing. May God give me the strength I need 
to live my life to the fullest. Thank you for those who helped me out with the video and for all those who encouraged me. Christine brings hope, urgency, and education to her Parkinson's advocacy in Peru. We've been in touch since the WPC. We're both now WPC 2022 ambassadors and PD Avengers. I caught up with her recently to chat about her family, her life, her religion, Peru, and Parkinson's advocacy. I started at the very beginning. Where did you grow up? Oh, that's actually a longer question than you expect. I actually was born in Papua New Guinea, which is the country above Australia, but I'm Australian and we moved back to Australia when I was 11. And what was that like? Moving back to Australia? Well, it was hard for an 11-year-old because it's a big adjustment changing countries at that age. But uh, it was um, eventually I adjusted and got on with life in Australia, in Sydney. Did that set you up for future uh, uh, adventures? Yeah, in a way, I think that uh, I sort of got the travel bug young. I love traveling and I love being living in different parts of the world and experiencing different cultures. And yeah, so I always had a passion to go overseas and help the poor or do something like that. And eventually I got there. So when did you meet your husband, David? We met when I was about 26 and we met at the train station. Um, but the truth is we actually had seen each other at a prayer meeting first. So it wasn't completely um, a stranger meeting. Um, yeah, and that's, that started it all. A prayer meeting? Yeah. And where was the prayer meeting? It was in a church near where I worked. Okay. And had you and seen he, him there before? I'd just seen him once. We didn't talk. But he saw me and I saw him and then we um, were at the train station and we, he said, hi, do you remember me from the prayer meeting? And then we just talked the whole way along on our train ride. Do you yeah. remember the conversation? Yeah, we talked about everything and we realized immediately we had a lot in common. He was from India and he'd moved to Australia when he was about 10. Um, and we had some different church things in common, same faith um, and um, various different things. And in the end, he asked the prayer leader, uh, the, the, the prayer group leader for my phone number or my email address. <laughs> wow. And they gave and it then to him. That's how we, yeah. Not too much worry about, you know, privacy and all that sort of thing. It was 16. Well, we've been married nearly 16 years. So it was a while ago. Talk about your faith. Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in a Christian family and I, um, yeah, from a young age, understood the faith, but I had to embrace it for myself. And I think that's very important for every teenager or whoever to think about it for themselves and decide whether they want to see, um, have faith and trust in God. And that's something I chose to do as a teenager. And I think, I think it's really important to me and it's very important to me and my husband because we've moved overseas to work for the church. Um, and we really see the Bible as the basis for our relationship and everything we do. So whenever we have a problem or an issue, we go back to the Bible. It's not some outside idea of what's right and wrong. It's, it's written there and we work together through the Bible. Oh, that's lovely. So do you randomly open a page hoping that it's uh, going to answer your questions? Sometimes I open randomly and say, wow, that's interesting. And sometimes, um, yeah, I, we work through in our church, we work through books of the Bible. So we get it chronologically and understand it in context. And that's really important. A lot of people like to you know, do that, but you could get something very strange. If you do that. <laughs> well, sure. But also over time, maybe it makes more sense. Maybe it doesn't make sense right away. 
Yeah. Well, it's sometimes interesting that, you know, I've been allocated a passage to lead for a Bible study next week, and it happens to be on advocacy, which is not something you think about that is in the Bible. And I'm like, that's so relevant to my life right now. We're trying to work with PD um, Avengers and look at advocacy. And I found this fabulous example of advocacy in the Bible. Do you have that verse? Well, it's the book of Esther. Esther was a, um, a young Hebrew girl who was um, basically taken into the, um, the palace of the Persian king and then chosen as the queen. But she was Hebrew and that wasn't a good thing. And then they decided they were going to kill the Hebrews. And she had to go and put her life at risk to um, ask the king for, to um, not let them die because they were going to kill the, the whole Hebrew people, people, including her, of course. So yeah, they got away. Very uh, because of her. And you feel uh, you feel that uh, relates to you and your advocacy. Well, in a sense that just uh, if you read the whole story, I didn't explain it all. It definitely does because she's you know she she does what normal people do. They have excuses, you know. I'm going to get killed, and um, you know various different things. But then the way she acts is very wise, and there's some things you can learn from that. I thought maybe you thought you were the queen of Parkinson's. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I'm but just kidding. There's one verse that, yeah, there's one verse that says you might be in this position for such a time as this. And I feel like, you know, anywhere we're in life, that really does apply for us. We might be, we're here for a reason. We're here to do something. We're here to help others, I believe. I do too. And I think you found your calling. Definitely. You and David were married in Australia? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then in 2004. How, how long were you married before your twin girls, Amelia and Annabelle, were born? We were, they were born three years after we got married. Um, we have a little boy as well. He was born three years later as well. And then how did you make the decision to move to Peru? Well, because I always had it sort of in my blood, this idea to travel and help the poor or do something overseas, I wanted to do something. And my husband wasn't that keen, but he's like, okay, we'll do a short visit and see what it's like. And so we came to Peru and he started saying, well, when I come back, I'll do this. When I come back, I'll do this. I'm like, oh, I think, I think he wants to come back. And so we decided to come back. We went back to Australia, did some Bible college and had our family. And then maybe five or six years later, we came back. And so um, Peru is um, in South America. It is uh, right. to the north is Ecuador and Colombia. Down south is Chile and to the southeast is Ecuador. And nestled in the south of Peru is an ancient city of Arequipa. Is that where you are? Yeah, we're in the city. Yeah, we're very close. We can walk into the town. Yep. So now what, the way I read this is that it's awe-inspiring with museums, churches, cathedrals, and monasteries around every corner. Yeah, sure. There's definitely monasteries and museums. and But most impressive, I, I actually think, is the mountains behind, you know, God's creation. There are three humongous mountains and one of them is a volcano, which looks like a volcano. And the other two are bigger, even one of them is even bigger. It's over 6,000 meters. And the other one's just a bit less than, yeah, they're just gorgeous. And they, they sometimes get snow and uh, you just want to get out there. When you see the snow, you've got to get up early and get a photo. It's just gorgeous. Kind of frames the whole city as it nestles in to, amongst the volcanoes. Yes. And that's really yes. cool. Yeah. Uh, have you been to the San Camilo Market? Yes, I have. Yeah. And what do, do you buy there? there? Oh, fruit, vegetables, um, yogurt, um, cereals, 
multi-grain, multi-grains to make bread. Uh, Everything. Lots of fresh seafood, I hear. Definitely, yeah. It sounds like a, a we did. It sounds like a great place to visit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, actually, they do tours of it. Like when tourists come, there's, our city is usually full of tourists. Right now, I'm the only person who looks like a tourist. But <laughs> yeah, usually it's full of tourists, and they do a tours inside the the market, and you can understand the different fruit and vegetables that are unique to Peru. But um, yeah, what have you discovered? I'm not that's a tourist. New, what, what's new? What's what was new for you when you moved there that you really like? Uh, Oh, what, are they, what do I really like? Oh, I love the popcorn. They've got this fabulous popcorn. So in Peru, it's called maize, and it's bigger than normal popcorn. It's kind of whitey, not right yellow, but whitey color, whitey off-white. And they're this chunky big, but when they do, and so you eat that with vegetables and like a normal corn, um, but if you make it into popcorn, it's like big popcorns, and then they put sugary stuff on it. That sounds and awesome. And it's really delicious, and you can't get it anywhere else. Uh, and then my, my, my son is a huge bird watcher, and I understand that you can see condors in full flight. Yeah, definitely. Not so much in the city, but if you just go out to another place, about six to eight hours, everything's a long way on the roads six here. Six to eight hours? Six just eight. about six to eight hours. Yeah, I know. Well, it's probably a little bit less if you went direct, but, you know, they take you to other things on the way and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's beautiful, and I have some gorgeous photos of the condors I can send for you to show your son. Oh, he would love that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, it sounds like Peru is a, is a good fit for you guys. Yeah, we love it. When did your Parkinson's symptoms begin to appear? It was when in Peru... So the first thing that I saw, but I didn't think anything of it. I never would have connected it with Parkinson's. Just after we moved here, there was a slight tremble in my hand, but I didn't think anything of it, so I didn't do anything about it. You didn't think anything of it, or did you think it was something else, or do you just ignored it? Well, we knew someone with an essential tremor, so we just we talked to him about it, and we just thought, oh, it must be something like that. You know, I don't know. We just didn't really think about it. I'm so young, I didn't know much about Parkinson's back then. But the real, the real um, diagnosis started when um, my, my fingers sort of got weak. So whenever I lifted up a jug of water, especially my left hand, it would start to pour. Or I would grab something with my hands and it would sort of just slip from my fingers. And that seemed very strange to me. And so we asked the doctor um, and went to the doctor and did all sorts of tests to rule out other things first. How far into the, did you go to the doctor? Um, I think as soon as I started, this, I dropped a set of mugs that we were going to gift to someone as a gift. And, you know, they crashed and broke. And we're like, oh, that's strange. And we have a friend um, who's a doctor. He's American. He lives here. And so we just said, oh, what do you think? And he goes, oh, let's just eliminate, you know, what we, you know what I mean? See what we can see. He didn't guess it was, I think he might have mentioned Parkinson's very briefly, but I'm so young, he didn't really take it very seriously. But then when we were in Lima, um, he suggested, why don't you go to a neurologist when you're in Lima? And we had someone sort of hook up us an appointment really quickly. And we went in and, um, yeah, he, he said, as soon as you walked in the door, I knew it was Parkinson's. Did he say why? Yeah, basically my left arm doesn't didn't swing when I walked. And I think by then it already had started my foot to slap when I walked. It doesn't go down slowly, it just slaps the floor. Yeah. Isn't that fun, the, the, the foot clump? 
Yeah, I was a bit annoyed because thereafter I heard it because I didn't notice it before. And it, and then I knew every every time I walked, it just reminded me that I had Parkinson's. Did you feel like you were getting the same type of treatment in Peru that you would get in Australia? I had no idea, to be honest, because I hadn't um, seen a doctor in Australia about that. But the, the first appointment, they did give me a risk, uh, what do you call it in English, uh, a prescription we went and bought some drugs from the prescription, couldn't read the other writing, didn't take anything though. And then we went for our second opinion and we went back and talked to our American doctor. He started doing some research and he said, I'm not sure these drugs are good for you, Christine. Let's investigate. And then they, they worked out that I should probably go on something else first, not what they had recommended. What, what, what Do you remember what they recommended? Was it like an agonist or? Yeah, so it was recommended I go on an agonist first, um, as opposed to he'd just given me, I assume it was just levodopa, probably a combination of it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's not ideal at first. I didn't have that many symptoms that I needed something so strong as levodopa. And I don't think, I'm not sure, but I don't think he was a, a movement specialist. So, yeah, maybe so you, he didn't know. You were 37, diagnosed with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. how, did yep. that, how did that make you feel? Oh, it was a real shock, definitely a real shock. I mean, nobody expects that at 37. Um, I was healthy otherwise. And, I look, you know, the fingers, it just doesn't really seem to be something that would be related to Parkinson's. But, you know, listening to the doctor, getting the second opinion, I actually knew it was right. I knew in my heart that it was the correct thing. What yeah. David say? Oh, well, I guess he, we cried together. So he was just in shock, yeah. And then the girls and your son? They were pretty little. So thankfully they didn't, we, they didn't really understand at the time. I think it was probably better that way. Um, Samuel was about four and they're about seven. So, you know, we didn't really say much at the time, but as time went on, you know, they just sort of started to understand about it. And we talked about it a bit more. And when we went back to Australia, I spoke in churches about having Parkinson's because everyone in Australia was praying for us in the churches we visit. And um, then they started to go, oh, so, and they sort of understood what it was through that process too. Did you turn to the Bible? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely turned to the Bible and I started looking up verses um, about suffering and what, what does God say about suffering? It's a big issue. It's a big topic. We can't really cover it now, but... <laughs> But um, there's definitely, a, there's a lot tried, of suffering in the Bible. I know. Definitely a lot of suffering in the Bible. So, yeah, definitely. And it wasn't something that, like, I immediately said, "Wow, my faith is um, going to be, you know, that's it makes life perfect, and I expect healing, that sort of thing." No, it was kind of like a process of trusting God that good things could come out of this, even though it's really hard. And it's not to say that good th things come out of everything in life, but I do feel like. Thing, good things have come out of me having Parkinson's, if, if you can see the silver lining. Like what? Um, well, definitely it's changed completely what I'm doing here. I'm helping people in Peru. Um, so, yeah, after going to the World Parkinson's Congress, I had a lot more confidence to reach out and help people. I started a, a group here called Activate, which means you get active in Spanish, or get you active. I don't know how you say it really. You can't really translate it very well. But um, I would never have done that before. And um, I basically um, are helping people who have Parkinson's. 
it's just so encouraging to see them learning from what I've learned as well. So last night I talked to a couple and the husband has Parkinson's and they said the first time they heard about exercise was when I talked to them at this, the, the group that I created. The first time they had heard that exercise was good for Parkinson's. It's incredible. And so then they did a little bit of exercise, but then they said, when the quarantine started, we had nothing to do. So we started exercising and doing it every day like you suggested. And we did some of the exercises you suggested and with some videos and we found some videos online. And now she says that her husband can roll over in bed. Doesn't seem like much, but it's important. And his, now his feet are much more flexible and they don't get um, swelling up like they used to. Oh, that's so amazing. that just really encouraged me. And there's a few stories like that. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. Were you yeah. exercising from the beginning of your diagnosis? Yeah, sort of. I was sort of casually exercising. I went to the gym. Not too seriously, though, I don't think. Yeah, I could have done more. What was the catalyst to do more? Oh, there's a couple of things. One thing is I went to a birthday party for my son. Here they have a clown who yells at the parents and says, get up, dance, do this, do that. And he said, like, raise your arms. And I could not do what they were doing. So I sort of put some food in my mouth and pretended I didn't, you know, didn't want to dance. But um, it was really I couldn't do what they were doing. That was the one thing. The other thing was the, um, the what do you call it, the Unite for Parkinson's campaign. It's, it was run out of Europe and they used my video and everyone said, you're so inspiring, Christine. And they really liked my video. And I was like, oh, I could do better. I could do, I could do more to look after myself. And honestly, I'm not looking after myself that better, but I didn't want to say that. And so that was sort of the impetus for me to take up gymnastics. And yeah, that, that sort of pushed me along. Wait, so, so what took you from being, okay, I'm Christine, I'm 37, I have Parkinson's too. I think I'm supposed to be an activist. Activist? Or, or advocate. I think, advocate, yeah, sure. Um, I think it was gymnastics totally changed me because basically I could see that I was making progress in what I was doing um, and I improved so much that that made me think, well, if I could do it, other people could do it. And it sort of became like, if I can do it, you can do it. And I, and I started to realize, I did a little research project for the World Parkinson's Congress for a poster to look into what the situation was like for people in Peru to find out what they were experiencing because I had a sixth sense. They weren't being told to exercise because I don't think they told me to exercise. Um, and it's true. They basically don't, there wasn't high, highly ed, high education for Parkinson's patients. And so I just decided that I'm going to try and help. And I think the, the World Parkinson's Congress just gave me a little boost because it helped me get educated in Parkinson's a lot more than I had been before. What is the treatment like in Peru? Like what are the therapies they offer or, or are lacking at this point? They don't offer anything except drugs, really. That's the sad thing. There are no multidisciplinary centers. There are no, um, well, there might be a few physiotherapists who have an idea about Parkinson's, but not in my city, that's for sure. I even went to a physiotherapy clinic and the receptionist said, we don't treat Parkinson's because there's no cure. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, she was just the receptionist, but even when I was treated inside the clinic, they didn't really know what they were doing about Parkinson's, so it's really tragic. But I mean, there are some specialists in Lima. There are people who do know, but unfortunately, there's not really 
funding for that. Sometimes they do get to sent to physiotherapy. Some have said, yes, yes, I got told to go to physiotherapy, but they were sort of got so bored in the class that you know it didn't seem helpful. And they're not really Parkinson's specific exercises. And for younger people like myself, they certainly weren't intensive enough. I, I visited a class once that was supposedly for Parkinson's patients, but they would it wouldn't have been good for me at all. Just not intensive enough and not pushing the boundaries and it seems like they're going off some maybe some old information because it used to be oh we don't go too hard don't you know just re you don't want to hurt yourself and and now you know my physiotherapist yeah. just beats me up good yeah <laughs> I think we need to be pushed really hard we do it's I, hard. I I I, yeah, I exercise and I uh, we we don't have a good relationship. I know how you feel though. I really do know how you feel. I was like that. But the confidence that reaching a few little things helped me push further. And that's, I mean, I can climb a rope. Well, before the quarantine, I could climb a rope. I mean, I would never have expected to be able to do that. That was like the most Incredible. embarrassing part of elementary school is trying to climb the rope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's pretty hard. Uh, I can't do it now because I've lost practice. Well, a lot of people know you from handstands for Parkinson's. Uh, the the mm -hmm. documentary you did for WPC 2019, um, you know, I've heard of boxing, I've done the, uh, you know, circuit training, some people like to do dance or, or, or CrossFit. I had never heard of somebody uh, working out uh, for Parkinson's with handstands. Uh, how did you get from gymnastics to handstands? Well, basically, um, I was pretty desperate. Again, there's no PD classes here. There's no physiotherapist who understand Parkinson's. And I had been to physios, but they just didn't really encourage me or kind of discourage me, in, in fact. So I thought, well, what is something that's regular with accountability, because I need accountability. Um, and I saw the kids going to gymnastics, because my kids do gymnastics, or my girls do more than my son. And I could see that it could improve balance, strength, flexibility, and so much more. And I thought, that's exactly what I need. So I said, with fear and trembling, will you teach me? And to my surprise, the coach said, yes, he had a class of dancers in the morning. And I joined that. Of course, I'm way behind them. They're super flexible. And some of them are even pole dancers, um, which is completely opposite to where I'm coming from. But they're, they're very dedicated and that really encouraged me. And I just plodded along, pretended like no one could see me in the gym. When I started doing gymnastics, I thought, oh, I, I, I could do a handstand when I was a kid, just in the playground. Like, I could do that. Why, I can't do it now. Why? Fear, really, fear. And I'm obviously a lot heavier than I was when I was a kid. <laughs> and the Parkinson's as well. I couldn't even raise my arms up straight when I started. Um, and so... I just thought it would be fun to try. And the other thing that helped me get there was the World Parkinson's Congress video competition. I thought if I had an aim, something I could share, that would be good, you know, focus as a video. So I had to get the handstand to get my video in. And it was very touch and go. I nearly didn't get it. So <laughs> um, I think the video helped me get, get my handstand. The World Parkinson Congress, I heard you say on uh, Tanya Lestrange's podcast, uh, Parkinson Road, that you, that that changed your life. Yeah, definitely. definitely. That's a big yeah, statement. I think, yeah, I do, I do think so, because firstly, A, I would never have um, done the handstand if the video deadline wasn't there. I don't think I would have done it. So I got the video in, and then they, they said, when I filled in the application, are you going to come to the conference? 
So I actually had to decide when I put the video in, am I going to go? And I said, okay. And Japan is a long way from Peru, so it was a big commitment. Um, and then at the Congress, I just feel like I met people who were inspirational, yourself included, and met various other people and just learned so much about Parkinson's. And I think emotionally, the video did give me a bit of a boost because people said, oh, great, you did great, that was wonderful. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, and I sort of came back and did more when I got home for that. And so it just gave me a good, good boost to get going because I needed something to, you know, help give me the strength to help other people. Well, it was great because uh, we were in the in the pre-seminar uh, advocacy uh, session. That's where I first uh -huh. became aware of you. Uh, and uh -huh. and uh, I loved how you just sort of stood up and started asking questions and challenging things. And it was you were you were you were all in from the word go. Yeah, that's me, I think. <laughs> I'm definitely involved and because I, I have so much to learn about this whole thing about advocacy and Parkinson's, I wanted to get the most out of it. So I have a lot, always have questions. So how was the, you talked about how, how far away it was. Did it affect your Parkinson's at all, the travel? Well, um, hard to say. Uh, I, I went to Australia first and then I went to Japan. So I think I arrived in Australia on the Friday and then got on the plane on the Sunday to go to Japan. So um, I was exhausted actually that first day in Tokyo. It was very hot and I tried to walk up to one of those things on the side of town where they have sort of temples or something and I couldn't, I got sort of up the first set of stairs and thought that'll do me for today. I'm too tired. <laughs> yeah, on the way home, for whatever reason, I, I must have gotten off my meds and the dyskinesia kicked in for like two weeks. It was bad. Oh no, and, and I know yeah. that trip hurt a lot of people with Parkinson's. Like it just, we weren't expecting it, and it just like the 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 trip home for whatever reason was really rough. I didn't know if you experienced I, that at all. I think I was mainly under medicated at the time because I did have a lot of trouble walking around, and I think I went to the doctor as soon as we got back to Australia, and he said you're under medicated. So that's when I sort of started taking a little bit more medication because yeah. I was struggling. So you've been to the doctor now in Australia. How's it compared to Peru? Um, that's very different. So in Australia, when I was diagnosed, they sent me to a clinic for the whole morning. It was sort of, I saw a physiotherapist, a dietitian, sort of a counselor and um, someone else, speech, a speech therapist, all in one morning, as well as a neuro neurologist on a previous day. And it was, yeah, that's incredible. Like, to get that sort of treatment is incredible. That's what we'd love to see here, but we'll start with physio. That would be the first thing. I'm organizing a training for physiotherapists here. We're doing sort of an, in, an initial training probably in November, and then we're gonna try and get um, an, a further training next year. That's great that I can encourage people to get that organized because yeah, that just, just shows that even patients can push things along and yeah, it's gonna happen, I'm sure. Christine and I spoke for about an hour, and she told me that when she returned from Japan, she was considering inviting her Parkinson's friends in Peru to help her start an organization. But there was just one problem, and it was a big problem. These people are hiding away. I had one friend who had Parkinson's in my town, but she keeps it a secret. So she can't really help me make a Parkinson's association because she keeps it a secret. Um, the next person that I found out pretty quickly after that was someone whose father from gymnastics has it. Again, secret. 
but I, I got him involved and it turned out after a bit of convincing, um, you know, to, he started coming along. He had a, a um, connection with the newspaper. He's a lawyer and he was in a big government department. I mean, he's retiring now for the, because of Parkinson's, but he got his contact and um, yeah, we got in the newspaper. That's great. So, and that started the ball rolling, and we've been in the newspaper three or four times since. That's amazing. So you're getting the word out. How's the community yeah. growing? It's great. Like the first session, we had about 10 to 12 people um, and family members as well. And then every time we had some different people coming along, we had about three or four meetings. And every time we got new people and people ringing me all the time and signing up to be in the group. Obviously, things have slowed down with COVID, but the biggest success we had was we had a doctor from uh, America. He's actually a Peruvian doctor who now lives in America. He's a neurologist, a movement disorder specialist, and he came out and we had a big session in the hospital and we had over 100 people and that was really exciting. What are the biggest topics uh, related to Parkinson's in Peru? Uh, they really, really want a cure. They really want a magical cure because they're so desperate. I mean, I, they'll just come to me. Nearly every session someone comes to me and says, Christine, what about this? What about that? I heard there's a machine in Lima that can heal you. I said, if there's a machine, it's not in Lima. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we, 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 we both, I think, have uh, hope based on the book Ending Parkinson's Disease. Definitely. Uh, definitely. What did you take away from reading that book? Well, it shocked me about the chemicals. I didn't really know about that, that chemicals can have a, an effect and cause Parkinson's. Um, so definitely want to see a ban on all the chemicals that could cause Parkinson's. Um, and the second thing is that it's exciting that there are other people out there who want to um, push for an end to Parkinson's um, like us. So that's really encouraging. And I think it's been really great how that's been the basis for PD Avengers, which you have organized, Larry. So I'm really excited for that. Why did you join PD Avengers? Well, uh, I, I love the idea from the get-go, but I think, to be honest, as soon as I got Parkinson's disease, I became an educator, whether I wanted to or not. At first, that was really hard because I was a bit teary and I didn't really know the answers to the questions. But gradually, as time went on, I got more confident and I could answer people's questions and I could tell them when things weren't quite right in a polite way. Or, and mostly people didn't know that exercise helped Parkinson's. So I have, I've become an educator whether I like it or not. Um, and so let's just get the word out to everyone in the world how different, difficult it is to have Parkinson's and how, did, how much it causes disability in the lives of people with Parkinson's. When you think of a cure for Parkinson's, what do you think of? I'm not really a scientist, to be honest. I, I will let someone else take care of that. But I really would love to see that the, what I would like is that symptoms could stop progressing. Um, that would be really the first thing um, that would help me and people like yourself. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm not looking for reversal. I mean, that'd be great. But like, I think that's like, yeah, that's like science fiction future. But I do think we could probably stop it in its tracks. We could some, somehow trap it. Uh, and yep. I think we could we could prevent onset for others. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, it's going to take some some good biomarkers, probably, a, 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 you know, a series of biomarkers that they have to identify that they're beginning to identify uh, and mm -hmm. uh, make those uh, affordable and really uh, 
you know, globally used uh, from a young age so we can begin to identify who has the potential for Parkinson's and figure out how to stop it. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, there's uh, there's so many so many great smart people working on that right now. That that's what excites me. Yeah, actually, there's a girl in our keeper who's a student who's doing a um a writing based thing, where they analyze writing and predict can predict early diagnosis of Parkinson's. That's incredible. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I and mean, she lives in our keeper. So, what are some of the milestones in your advocacy that has kept you motivated? I think the main thing is the World Parkinson's Congress has been really important, um, just um, giving me the education I need. So I encourage everybody to get along to the World Parkinson's Congress, um, but be careful, it might change you. Um, um, I think the just the physical side of things, I made a, a video called Before and After, which just shows the physical change how much I improved. And I think that's been just seeing that video, even though I made it, has shocked me as well, seeing how different you, how much difference you can make in your own life by doing exercise. I, I, I couldn't lift my arms up and then I, now I can climb a rope. I couldn't do a handstand. I, this, I mean, I can, I, before the quarantine, I could do the splits and slide along the floor on these things called sliders. I mean, who would have thought that I could do that? I mean, it's not a complete split, but it's almost there. <laughs> so that just physical, physically, just knowing that the body is capable of so much more than we could ever imagine. And I think that is so encouraging to everyone out there who has Parkinson's. Don't limit yourself by what you have in your mind, which is what I do and have done in the past. Just get out there and push yourself to the extreme because you don't know what you can do. I mean, look what I did. And I know people say, oh, but you're young. No, no, no. We have to... Um, trust the body can do much so much more than we ask or imagine. Do you think that you would have listened to you when you were first diagnosed? Probably not, but um, because my husband was pushing me to exercise, but they didn't. I, he didn't have the video that I made. He didn't have the, the before and after. That's incredible. And I mean, I don't want to say that about myself, but I really am shocked at it. The other video I made was the with. 12 other people who have Parkinson's, the benefits of exercise, they're all different shapes and sizes, some big, some small, some old, some young. They all say the same thing. That one's called the benefits of exercise. If I had seen those, maybe I would have been more invited, uh, excited about exercising. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time and say, hey, Christine, what would you say? I would say, I would say, you can do it. Get out there. Just go every day, whether you like it or not. It's going to improve your life and it's going to prevent the disease progressing. What are your symptoms like today? I'm struggling a little bit with dyskinesia at the moment, which is like the involuntary movement. Um, that is hard. And that's basically, I didn't experience that much before the quarantine. But as the quarantine has gone along, I think I've become less active. I'm still active and I do exercise almost every day, but I think it's not as much as I used to and I really miss my gym. So today I did like a functional class online and that was really pushes me, pushed me to the extreme. And I think that's really helpful. It's really helpful to have someone pushing you along. Has, has, it, has COVID affected anything else in relation to your Parkinson's? 
Not really, just mainly um, being less active. I think it's hard because we've been in quarantine for six months and we were, it, it's just sad, it's depressing, it's sad being inside the house. I'm extroverted, I hate being at home for an extended period. Um, so that's just hard generally. And I think that's hard for everybody. I don't wanna be complaining about that because everyone's been under the same thing, but it was hard. Every time they extended the quarantine every month, I would cry. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is testing us and teaching us a lesson on, on how, as humans, we can be more empathetic with each other and more helpful with each other and more neighborly. And Yeah. I mean, there's, there's got, what, what's the Bible say about this? Come on. There's got to be something in there. About quarantine? Well, or about, um, it probably doesn't mention COVID-19 by name. No, but you definitely find examples of people who are locked away. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul was in prison and he was writing letters encouraging people in the church, even though he was in prison, locked away. I mean, that's an incredible person and a story of someone who, you know, is writing such beautiful, encouraging letters to people. And I mean, even Queen Esther, she was in the palace. She couldn't see her her father figure. She she was an orphan and her father figure would come to the gate every day and try and get word to her and talk to her, but he couldn't go to her. I mean, you know, that was sort of someone else who was sort of, you know, separated from their people. So there's definitely examples of people in the Bible who, who um, struggled being distanced from other people. So definitely there's lots of examples for us to follow. It's giving you more time with your kids. Definitely. How has having Parkinson's impacted your ability to be a mom? I don't think it has affected that much, um, to be honest. I'm still there for them. Um, they sort of help me a little bit more than they probably would if I was a normal parent. They correct my movements when we do exercise and they tell me what I'm doing wrong. Oh, um, my son does that to me too <laughs> at every yeah. turn. No, dad, that's not how yeah. you do it. Yeah, but I correct my Spanish too, so I'm used to being corrected. <laughs> um, but the other thing they do is that if um, after, I would take them to gymnastics in the evening and wait around to bring them up, and sometimes my drugs would wear off before we did the walk up to the up to the car park or to the road, and so they would sort of help me walk up there if my drugs had worn off. So that's something that normal kids don't know, and I think they know a lot more about Parkinson's than the average kid. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And then how, how has, uh, has this impacted your relationship with David? We're doing well. We're doing really well. So we thank God that um, we have lots of people praying for us and helping us out when we need it. Um, we look after each other. So I'm not sure what else to say. If people want to pray for you, what do you want them to pray for? Um, I think that my symptoms won't progress that I can be strong with doing exercise. I think that's my prayer for everyone with Parkinson's really, that we can be strong because the improvements have been amazing. If you could send one message to the world to help everybody understand why we need to build urgency to end PD, what would that be? Uh, I would like to say that um, I've done a lot to help people with Parkinson's and I'm just one person in one community and I've seen lives changed. I mean, it's just short term at the moment, but I'm hoping to see more and more people involved in what I'm doing to, to change um, people for the future. And I think if I can do what I've done, I think so many, many people
people out there should get involved because one more voice, one more activist, one more person doing what I'm doing would be such a huge help. So I would say get involved in your community, get involved in PD Avengers, get along to the World Parkinson's Congress. You won't regret it and it would really help um, get the message out about Parkinson's. And I also think it's really important to say that Parkinson's is um, something that is a disability. It leads to worsening quality of life. That's really important for people to understand. Um, it's not just something, I mean, I don't look too bad. Um, and so people maybe, you know, but I know what's coming. If, if it continues like this, I don't, I don't want to have it. So um, I just think people need to understand that it's not something we should take lightly. We need to find the cure. Christine's blog is available in English and Spanish at handstandforparkinsons.com. You can also watch the videos she talked about, subscribe to her newsletter, and more. Advocacy is important, but it comes in all shapes and sizes, and that's why we wanted to focus on Christine this time. But we'll introduce you to other advocates throughout the season, because just like Parkinson's is unique to each individual, so can your advocacy. My advocacy doesn't look like Jimmy Choi's or Rochelle Flanagan's or Amatola Thomas's or Tim Haig's or, or anybody's. It's mine. So you need to figure out what you can do as an advocate. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our story producer is Dila Velazquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's? You're not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thanks also to our promotional partners. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness for young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. The Michael J. Fox Foundation, Parkinson's podcast, hosted by me, Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. The World Parkinson Congress 2022 in Barcelona, Spain. Cross your fingers, hope we can travel by then. Go to WPC2022.org for details on special virtual events that you can participate in now, including a series of bilingual webinars coming up uh, starting in December. They'll first do it in English, and then they'll follow it up and do it in Spanish. That's really cool. And PD Avengers, ready to help end Parkinson's? Join now at pdavengers.com. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give the show a five-star rating. Give it six if you can, but I think five's the max. <laughs> Feel free to comment. You can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. We love getting your email. Well, and be sure to share a link to this podcast with your friends on, on email, Facebook, Twitter, on your blog. You can skywrite it if you want to. You can spell it. You can like socially distanced talking about podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is falling apart. I should have never done this without Nikki and uh, Rebecca. Uh, I've learned my lesson. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.